what an honor it is to bring in a cat who is still uh, really working on the uh, the eternal journey of music, but at the same time, in order to find out what you really have to say, you have to uh, produce content and create. And uh, he has a new album out under the label of the Curation Records label with the uh, headless hero of the apocalypse, Brent Rademacher, uh, spearheading the operation. And um, uh, he's he's seen many rivers and he's known many lives. Freeman DeYoung, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thanks for having me on, man. It's a pleasure, brother. It's good to have you. Um, you know, I, I wanted you to just talk about, even just just tease the audience with in, with dreadful feelings. What what is this story? What is the Freeman DeYoung? What's the DeYoung story? What's a piece of the story that comes out in the messages in this in this uh, album? Well, man, I I made this album. I kind of wrote most of these songs kind of coming out of that pandemic time. And I had spent that time, you know, as we all did, hanging out largely alone. And I went from playing in a lot of bands previous to that to then having nothing going on, making a lot of music by myself and just listening to a lot of music. And, um, you know, I'm primarily a guitar player and a pedal steel guitar player. And, um, I had kind of like, you know, because I wasn't, I didn't have any gigs. I kind of started making a lot of electronic music and I bought a lot of synthesizers at that time. was like revisiting a lot of stuff that like was really important to me when I started playing music when I was like a kid, like Pink Floyd and Herbie Hancock and just like a lot of kind of like boogie and groove stuff and a lot of psychedelic music because I'd, I'd been doing a lot of work playing country music and I really wanted to get back to playing stuff that, that excited me like, you know, like like albums like Echoes and, uh, you know, listen to a lot of Frank Zappa and stuff and getting back into like funky guitar sounds, oh, exploring yeah. oh, cool tones and stuff like that. So when I made Dreadful Feelings, I wanted to write some songs. I wanted to produce some music that, that I thought would be cool to listen to at the time that I like to listen to cool music, which is usually like late at night with the windows open when I can just kind of chill and like, you know, like feel, feel my feelings, you know? So it really started is the sonic exploration and then kind of took on more of a, a lyrical importance as the songwriting kind of progressed. What was the idea of like just getting into that deep funk? Was it just because there was no, uh, there was no opportunities to play like really burning in, improvisational gigs with the uh, steel guitar? Yeah, I think there was a lot of that. And like, I think a lot of it, like there's a lot of space in this record too. Like there's, there's a fair amount of groove and rhythm and there's a lot of atmosphere around all of it. And I think it was kind of, I think it was kind of just like having like months on end with kind of no obligations. And, and, uh, you know, it's kind of this album. There's a lot of kind of that marriage between like trying to create punctuality in my days, as well as just kind of like the abyss of time and space, you know? Well, I mean, when you talk about atmospherics, especially as it relates to the album, um, I, you know, I'm always curious, you know, my favorite, um, inevitably my favorite uh, records and sort of the cats that I love to interview are guys that, you know, for the better were in the studios all the time hitting live. They had very little time to, to be... Um, you know, micromanaging the music wasn't too precious. They had to make albums, they had to make jingles and commercials and move on. They couldn't perseverate on one thing. And how much of it was in how much of what you did occurred in isolation 
And in terms of like the accompanists that were on the album, did you do anything live or was it all overdubs? No, man. So we recorded this record, like we recorded this record just like a year ago. And um, so, it, you know, I kind of wrote it the probably year and a half preceding that over time, you know, but really we tracked the whole thing. Like we did it pretty much live, the drummer and the bass player and I tracked it, tracked all the drums and bass live. And like their, their two buds of mine made Ronsi and Nick Archibald. Wow. And, um, Boise I, 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 are they Boise cats? Yeah, they're Boise cats. Oh my God, dude. You're opening up a whole Pandora's box now, dude. <laughs> yeah and uh and, like shit. i played with wade in multiple bands we made a record in a rock and roll band we were in in muscle shoals like right before the pandemic so i was like felt like really tight playing with him and so basically like i went over to his house one day and i played him like you know the, the 14 songs the ra the record's only 10 songs but i played him like kind of the 14 songs that i whittled down to potentially be the record and we just like jammed that afternoon and uh and then like a you know two weeks later we just went to the studio and kind of just cut it like we just did my rule is always three takes like if i can't do it three takes it's not meant to be yet wow and so we just we just did three takes of each song and then we ended up tracking those like those 14 songs that whittled down to 10 songs that became the album and it was just kind of this cool thing like i was actually just playing i just got home from a weekend tour and i was just driving down from the mountains with wade today and i told him you know i didn't listen to the album for like the last five months until it came out on friday and I was like, dude, like, I didn't even realize, like, all that groovy shit you did playing, man. Like, because when we were tracking, I just was, like, so hyper-focused on everything, you know? Mm. And I was like, it's been really cool to listen to because I, I, you did all that live. And I didn't, I, you know, it's not like we, like, we didn't write that stuff. You were just jamming in the moment. And it's really cool to hear that, you know, now to be able to hear those. That's moments. fantastic. I love that they are composing in, in the moment, you know? Yeah. And to be able to hear that stuff in your own music that you didn't know. Exactly. Before, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, did you... Can you talk a little bit about, I, nobody was getting rich, but um, before the pandemic, people were really busy. There was a lot of gigs, and I just wanted to know where, you know, the momentum, not necessarily the momentum, but the kind of different, where were you at, and what kind of gigs were, did you have to sing for your supper? You mean like pre-pandemic? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just doing a lot of, like, a lot of, uh, a lot of guitar and pedal steel work, you know, for other for other groups. That's kind of like my main bread and butter still is doing a lot of that stuff. And um, and then doing a lot of singer songwriter gigs. I do a lot of was doing a lot of that stuff too, you know, like playing here and here in Idaho and you know Northern California and Oregon and Washington, I and Montana, Wyoming. Like I kind of I kind of troll the Pacific Northwest here. Um, so yeah, just kind of you know like that's kind of been my since I've been back here for five years. That's kind of just been like the territory, you know, is like kind of doing the circles you know go we go down in nevada and stuff too and you know kind of just staying up here in, in this part of the country yeah no i love it up there i was up there i was up there for tree fort festival i'm i'm, I'm so psyched now that uh i know that you're up there man because we're gonna have a ball i mean there's what at a certain point going back even farther you recognize that in order to grow what were the things that you obviously everyone says oh if you you know if you're gonna if you really want to say that you made it in music you got to make it in new york but yeah was that the impetus for you to go there why did did you just feel like you you couldn't learn anymore in boise why did you go to the to the big apple man i i like i i wanted to do something like totally different i mean like i was 22 when i moved to new york city and um like i grew up in florida iowa and idaho and like I traveled a lot, like I've been to a lot of urban areas, like with my folks and stuff. And, 
and uh, you know, like my mom's from Chicago, which is you know a music mecca too and stuff. And sure. I wanted to do something different. I just like was like, and you know, at that time in my early twenties, like everything I was all about was like was like old folk music, you know. Um, and you know, so like the New York City. You know, yeah, like uh, 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 Dave Van Ronk shit or the fo- yeah, 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 totally Dave Dave Van Ronk for sure. Uh, Eric know, Von like, Schmidt, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. And so there was a lot of that like romance to me. And then I had a friend who, um, who I grew up with in this town I'm from, Pocatello, and he was going to Brooklyn School of Music and needed a roommate. And I wanted to get out of town, and so I actually New York City was one of the few places I'd never been, and I went there and just kind of like. And really, it was this weird thing that happened because, like, I got pretty involved in, like, doing singer-songwriter stuff. And then, like, I had zero interest in, like, in, like, kind of twangy music until I moved to New York. Like, when I was a kid, it was all psychedelic music and blues-based stuff. And, like, my dad was a deadhead and my mom was, like, a Zeppelin Pink Floyd person, you know? (laughs) And so, like, I never listened to country music growing up. When I moved to New York, I kind of started getting into the bluegrass stuff because that's big there. And then I, I met this guitar player named Jason Lachlan, who's an incredible Telecaster player. And uh, I started going to see him play. Um, like, and my friend, uh, I met him, and my friend John Shannon was one of his, uh, like, kind of, and John plays in circles around the sun now. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I'd go see Jason play, and John would play with him, and I met those dudes, and I started playing with Jason. And I, I, I studied with him for, like, I think, like, four years, and... And I was really like, I, I dug the New York thing, but after a while, like, I just always had this West Coast nostalgia. Like, like I just always felt like I was in the wrong place. Like, I was. I dig. Know, like no, I, I dig. I, I want to go back. This is really important. John, first of all, I don't know why everybody, they, they let's just call it what it is. To John Lee Shannon, man. The man yeah. is cooler than the other side of the pillow. He's been one of like coming out of the pandemic, not really being that familiar with him. And really, Circles Around the Sun being, like, my favorite live band, uh, I have really connected with him on, like, a beautiful spiritual brother level. And it really warms my heart to, to hear that, that when you went there, even though, you know, you were nostalgic for the West Coast, um, you fell in with, you met the right people, you know? Yeah, man. And he was so good then, too, man. And, like, it was interesting, because I would go watch him play with Jason, and they were doing a lot of, like kind of like a lot of like classic country, but a lot of like Chad Atkins and like Doc Watts and stuff like that too, you know? Mm. And, um, and, and I know like John put out that, that solo album of just like all his really beautiful, uh, finger style stuff on the acoustic guitar, you know, which, which was like what I really kind of like knew him for right. that stuff, right. you know, which was really cool. So then it was really cool. Like I actually went and saw, I went and saw circles play here maybe like a year ago. And it was the first time I saw him play with them. Or maybe it was longer ago. I think it was like the first tour he was doing with them. Dude, I like, dude, I was I, there, man. I was freaking oh, in you? the front row, man. Oh, that's funny. I dude, was he was right. No, he was rocking the stash back then. Dude, he, yeah. if you go back and listen, I have, I'm going to send you some clips. You know, he is feeling his way through the music. It's beautiful to see how far he has. I mean, it's, I'm not surprised. But that was so, that was raw Shannon with Circles. Yeah, that was a good show. I was just, like, really impressed because I hadn't, like, I hadn't like, heard him, seen him play, like, a, a Stratocaster with, like, effects and fuzz and doing the whole, like, psychedelic <laughs> you know? Oh, really? Up to that point, it was, like, kind of acoustic-based, really pretty uh, country folk kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, man. But when I was living in New York, those guys were like my favorite people to like. No, but I, I really want to get into this. Like, 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 what was the bar? I mean, because because just to go back, I mean, as you know, uh, you know, Zeph and and John Lee connected in a hair salon, and according to Zeph, John was so humble. He was not really even playing out, you know. Eventually, it was like, "Hey, man, I'm not sure when you moved there, but it was like, we should start playing together." And you know, and and it, as it turns out, he had all this command. He could play all this flamenco music, finger pick style. When when did you actually fall upon Lachlan and him? Because I guess, I guess at that point he'd already you know turned the corner. But there was a period of time where he he wasn't advertised as a musician. Yeah, it was at uh, it was at the Skinny Dennis Bar in, in Williamsburg. My Brooklyn. favorite freaking bar, dude. Yeah, the, so like the Skinny Dennis because Jason's got like residencies there, and uh, and then I saw him, you know, in like Pete's Candy Shop, and there was one other place that's clo- uh, the Manhattan Inn in Greenpoint. Yeah, wow. that place too. Wow. Like, so those were like the you know as far as like because I lived there in Greenpoint, um, and you know Williamsburg Greenpoint are kind of the same neighborhood, and. Uh, and, but yeah, the skinny, you know, you know, the skinny Dennis, man, they've got great bands there all the time. And Jason's played there, I think, like every week. So like, you, you, like he had, he had a residency there with, and Shannon was on, was there a trap drummer? There was, a, I don't, I didn't know the other dudes in the band. I think there were people who regularly play with Jason, but I just remember like, you know, like they would play, Jason's big thing is like Exotica and like like Chet Atkins style country. I mean, all country. That dude is sure. badass for everything. Do you know that dude? You know, I, I you're, you got to pull my you got to get me connected with him because I obviously owe him an interview. You know. Oh, he he's awesome, man. He's like hands down like he's like one of my favorite guitar players because Jason can play anything wow. and he's so good. Like he's just like he's he, still ba- he's still based in kind of Brooklyn area, like playing. Oh, he, yeah. yeah, he lives like he lives like a block away from Skinny Dennis. Oh, that's great, man. Because all like, those other like it, yeah. Go ahead. Like if you if you see him play there, like he's just walking to the gig with his guitar and his Princeton from his apartment. <laughs> That's exactly the way the cats used to go, you know. It's just very right to the gig, Miles with the with the trumpet case, you know, and just show up. Um, yeah, but but yeah, that's kind of. I started seeing those guys play there, and, and uh, really, the, oh sorry, go ahead. What were we gonna say? No, please continue. I, I would see those guys play there, and then like I remember asking Jason after a show, like, "Hey man, like, do you teach guitar lessons?" Because I was like. You know, like I was really interested in like starting to inform myself of like the kind of the country style, you know, and I was listening to like I started listening to a lot of like, you know, a lot of Les Paul and Chet Atkins. And like I think Jason, like I think I remember him telling me like his grandparents were like next door neighbors with Les Paul. So like Jason's like a child prodigy guitar player. Like he like he like he like knew Les Paul when he was a kid. Like he Right. No, I, I, he was band, obviously you know? in yeah, the same way that. uh Pat Martino met Les Paul. Bernard Purdy holds him in high esteem. He was connected to that lineage, but just younger. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Wow. You know, and so wow. He really, he really like, um, he really, I, I approached him about taking guitar lessons, you know, and I was like 22 or 23 years old then. And you know, I started playing guitar when I was like, like in like the third grade playing classical guitar and all that stuff. Like I've always, I still love taking guitar lessons from people, you know, like, like two years ago when I was in Weston, it was like right during the pandemic, I was in New York and I actually like went over to John's place and took a lesson from him. Cause I was like so inspired by his, his, his acoustic finger style album, you know? Can you um, talk about that? This is really important because like, what was it that were you looking for, uh, techniques for speed? I mean, what were you, was it a rudimentary lessons? Like what was, what were you trying to get out of Shannon? I think my big thing is like, whenever like I take a lesson from somebody, it's usually just like the cool thing about music and like guitars, you know, like, like, 
like everybody sees it differently. Like you can teach like 20 people a major scale and they'll all do different things with it. You know what I mean? Like that's the cool <laughs> right. thing about right. it. Right. Like, that's exactly like, right. Yeah. And so like when you hear somebody do something, you're like, oh, like I know what's going on. Like I hear it, but they just, you know, like the style, that's what I'm always interested in. It's like style. Like I think that like, 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 I mean, I, I practice like religiously every day, man, like especially playing pedal steel because like my dexterity is so important to me on that instrument. But like it's the style in which people do stuff. And like that was the kind of thing like like with like when John did that, uh, when I heard his solo album, I was just like at that time, I remember I was like really into like playing finger style stuff, too. Then I heard his and I just was like, oh, wow, like that shit's next level, you know. And so like really a lot of that, man, is like I just want to go sit with people and I just want to like watch them play and listen to them play one on one and ask them questions about like how did they come up with that, that idea? Like where did that come from? Where was the inspiration for that coming from? Because I want to listen to that because I want to know like what it is, too. You know, I'm curious. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of like. That was probably my why I wanted to go, you know, why I hit him up and asked him, like, can I come over and take a lesson from you, you know? Um, were they, like, would you say that those, I mean, the Skinny Dennis shows, that's not jam band music. I mean, that's, was it, were they burning to the heavens? Were, would they leave the head of the tune and stretch out? Or were, were these, like, kind of like Lachlan three, four minute delivery pieces? They were pretty, they were pretty, like, pretty clean cut. Like, yeah, not a lot of jamming. Like, I will say, though, like, my friend, do you know the band, uh, the National Reserve, Sean Walsh's band? Uh, yeah, like, uh, uh, John, you know, John Ledeau was in that band. Yeah, man. So, like, I bartended with Sean uh, at this bar in, in Bedsty called Dynaco. And, like, you know, Sean's thing is, like, definitely, like, blues, jam, rock stuff. And he, he like, does that shit. But I feel like the stuff that, like, Jason was doing, like, that dude jams for sure. Um, but it was all, like, it was kind of more in the country tradition where everything's, like, pretty tight. Yeah, I dig, I mean? man. I dig. Yeah. Did you, were you able to take that knowledge and apply it on the bandstand? Did, did you, once you started getting gigs in New York, I mean... You probably could have, I mean, listen, uh, Zeph's in Nashville, Kutch is in L.A., John Lee moved upstate, Lachlan's still holding down the fort, Arthur Vint, dear friend, is in Tucson, where I live, opening up mm -hmm. the Century Room, which, you know, you got to get down here for that, because it's the sickest venue. Um, were there gigs, did you have enough gigs to be able to, obviously you did studio work as well, but were you able to apply some of these uh techniques you learned from shannon or even lachlan or just the inspiration live to people yeah man like i, I when i was living in new york like my gig experience was interesting because like i was always trying to jam with people and play but like i don't know like the new york city thing i was also trying to do the songwriter thing you know and, like the new york city thing is tough like it's kind of a difficult place to have a band you know just because like you gotta like rent your rehearsal space and you're sharing it with like 10 other bands and like getting to gigs is like difficult. So like, I don't know, most of my experience in New York, the shows I was playing, like I did, I did a fair amount of gigging playing guitar for other people, mm. but most of the stuff I was doing on my own was like kind of just like doing the folk thing with the acoustic guitar. It was mostly just like out of like the fact that like New York city gigs don't pay that well. So like paying a five piece band usually isn't like so much of a reality. Um, you know, cause a lot of the time you're like basing on ticket sales and stuff like that. Um, so a lot of that, but I mean, as far as like what I was learning from those dudes, like definitely like, like all that, like changed my trajectory as a guitar player. Like, like I thought I was like, okay before that, like I thought I was good. And then I realized like, Oh God, like I do, I went into the woodshed hard, like between when I was like 23 and 28, like I just like, there was like a five year period where I just like played guitar, like, like seven eight hours a day like whenever i could just studying because i wanted to get to the level that like i felt like those dudes were at 
you know, so it was like super inspiring for me and it totally changed like the way I thought about composition and harmony and melody and songwriting and like making music with other people and stuff, you know, like I'd say it made me a professional musician. Whereas before I was just kind of like a, a, a dude who could like play cool guitar solos or something like, well, that, you, you know? know what it was like, you just, you realize that the, 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 it's an endless ocean of knowledge and you know, it was, you had so much more to, to, to go. You, the journey was just beginning. You know, man, I think that that's like the exciting part. Like, absolutely. Like I'm, 30, I'm 34 years old now, and like, I wake up every day just like stoked to play because there's so much to learn. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the exciting thing. Like, there's this dude here in town who like used to play like for John Prine and stuff, and like he's 72 and he still plays. Like, he plays more than I do. He plays like he's always on tour, and he always tells me like he always calls me and he's so excited about like a new pedal that he just discovered or like a new lick that he just learned. And I'm like, man, like that's, that's, that's the dude to model after. Like the dude who's 72 and still wakes up and is like excited to practice and learn stuff every day, you know? Dude, that's sick, man. I mean, okay. So there's this cat. I, I if you don't know him, I got to connect you guy, Colin McFadden. Is he here? I live. Dude, I'm just saying, man, that is your cat. He is the sickest he is a sick drummer, percussionist, and he's also a producer here. Uh, uh, oh, cool. And so I saw him in this band called Up Is The, Down Is The, with uh, uh -huh. and Andrew Martin. I don't know if that name rings a bell. But, no. yeah, so again, Boise, not a big town, but yet you're not, a, you know, I mean, this is, these are cats I met during Treefort. So I just feel like it's important part of, you know, not that you need this incentive, but, you know, that I want you to talk like philosophically about this idea. I've just uh, we got the we got the East Coast contingent of psychedelic folk and country western going on because uh, I it was just Roy Williams's birthday. Did you ever hang with Roy? I never I never like met Roy. Maybe I like met him once, but I didn't I didn't know Roy. Yeah, it's I fine. It's fine. The point is, I, I'm 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 listening back to my interview with him, and he's like. Talking about going to see Jim Campolongo, that's where those guys went. The way you went to see Lachlan and, and Shannon, they would go see Campolongo play every Monday night. All the the best cats in New York. And yeah, because he, he had the Rockwood Music Hall thing, right? Absolutely, and I just think it was, you know, and and what 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 Williams said, and what I want you to talk about, because you're talking about how inspired you are about wanting to get up and play and that's because the guys that you looked up to who blew your mind were made you want to learn and keep growing and then there's other cats where you see them play and you want to just burn your guitar or whatever because you're never going to be as good as them but they don't motivate you to want to get better and that's yeah. what i want you to talk about that idea of you know the fact is with other people they might have dissuaded you based on their own insecurities to not keep growing but yet, you, with Shannon and those guys, the the thing is this: with, with with Shannon, I always feel like he's opening the door for me as a, as a rogue journalist to keep pushing myself in, out of my comfort zone in order to grow. And I obviously he did that with you. And I want to talk about how invigorating it is to to be inspired by people that you look up to, as opposed to being fucking, you know, there's just not wanting to just go back and and put the guitar in the case and never look at it again. Yeah, man. I mean, that that's like something that, like I know, like when I was young, like I was really shy and I was like always like really quiet and kept to myself and like kind of like, you know, like afraid to let my flag fly or whatever. And like when I <laughs> when I when I was living out there and I was like 
started meeting some people, I was like really enamored with how cool, like if you go to people and you're just like, man, like I fucking love how you play. Like, you know, like I, like, it just turns me on and I want to like, I want to, I want to be able to embody some of that. Like I want to learn from you, you know, like, and you ask questions and stuff like it, it really has surprised me. Like how, open people were like those dudes especially you know like 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 just like yeah like come over like play my guitars you know like like i'll show you that what's that thing you know and excites the excitement to share knowledge i think that that's what yeah what man that's it so man cool, you nailed you know? it dude like people who are just like i want to share this with you because you're into it too and like that camaraderie you know and like that's something that the more and more people I play music with and like, like I wrote this blurb for the curation, you know, for the curation sure. bio for my record release. And like, I wrote this and that, that like my favorite part about playing music is getting to do it with other people, you know, like that, like learning from other people. Like that's my whole thing. Like seeing like what other people have to think about, you know? And, and when you meet people who are like, you look up to, right. And you're like, Oh man, like I don't really have that feeling of like, Oh man, like they make me just like want to burn my guitar. Like, you know, like I definitely have had that feeling before, but now it's like, it's like, you know, like it just gets me so excited, you know, to see people who are like thinking thoughts that you haven't thought of. Or just, or just, you know what it is? It's not even burning the guitar. It's like, there's a superiority uh, factor, you know, where they just will always kind of, or you feel like that there's like a sort of, they're judging you based on, they're, they're not willing to let you in the circle. Whereas with those other cats, it's like, yeah, man, come on in, use the use the the apparatus, have a ball, you know? Yeah, yeah, man. Like, and that continues. To, like, that kind of thing is just like so. People who have that energy are so cool. Like, just last night we were playing the Sawtooth Music Festival up in Stanley, Idaho, and like we were the last band. We played from twelve forty-five till two thirty last night, and this dude. uh Jimmy James from Seattle, who used to play in this group called the Delvin Lamar Organ Trio. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So, like, Jimmy James sat in with us for two songs, and, like, that dude just, like, shreds, and I'm, like, a huge fan, because he just is, like, far out, funky, groovy, like, he's, like, you know, like, he's, like, Steve Cropper and all your favorite soul guitar players, like, embodied, you know? And, like, I was talking to him after the show, and, and I was just, like, you know, I look up to that dude so much, and it was just, like, so cool to hear him be like oh man like you guys were cooking i was just trying to hang on i didn't know what key the song was in you know like i'm like and it's just cool because it's just like oh man like you're like as good as it gets you know and you're telling me that like like you're you're also like in that same thing that i'm feeling where you're just like making sure that you're playing the right notes and like doing things right and being cool for the song you know dude that's really what it there's nothing greater than that i, I think that makes yeah. it all worth it you know you know, there's another cat you got to, dude, I, so when I've been up there with my brother, he just moved up there a couple years ago, but he's the, uh, <clears throat> he's the uh, editor of the, of the Idaho Press, not the Statesman, but the Press. And, yeah. uh, and uh, dude, I went to Chandler's Steakhouse. There's a cat, he can play incredible melodic improvisation, but he can play all different types of music. His name is Garrett Mayer. Badass. Another fucking, uh, Chandler's, dude, you got to go there and meet this cat. Great dude. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I don't know him. I've definitely been to Chandler's, but I don't. Definitely been to Chandler's. No, no. I sit at the bar and watch them in that in that lame ass stage. They I think they had a bigger stage, but those cats are swinging their ass off there. Oh, he, he was one of the dudes playing in one of the because they got like jazz trios and stuff. Exactly, dude. It's yeah, so yeah, yeah. burning, dude. Like he's there. Go, go look for Garrett Mayer. I, I would love you guys to meet. He. I met him right when I got there, because like you know. Um, I was up there to see Circles, and then I came back for uh, Christmas, and then I went to 
Tree Fort, because mainly because of Mapache, but like then I met all these other scrap iron groups from like Salt Lake City and Missoula, and then now you're you're coming up there. It's like this place is a freaking haven, man. Yeah, dude. There's so much. Like it's weird, dude. Like I was, um, like I went to a show last Friday because I was I was in town and uh, I just was like, oh, what's going on? I went and checked out this new venue. And, like, I saw this really cool band play that I'd never heard of. And, like, three bands that were from here. And I just was like, I play a lot, you know? Like, I definitely, like, it's all I do, you know? Like, and I was like, how do I not know these dudes? Well, I think that's part of the the issue. Yeah, but I think if you're a player, then you're not exactly hanging out with other players because you got all the gigs. You're playing all the time. Yeah, that's true for sure. That's what's cool about being. But I think that like there's something about the community. I mean that that the fact that you don't know these people doesn't surprise me because, I mean, you talk about you know your mom growing up in Chicago. I mean, I've interviewed so many of the cats from the late '60s who grew up there, and like, it was you know Sam and Dave within two block radius. George Benson, Sam and Dave, Cannonball Adderley, you know, uh, David David Bowie. Like, but the point is that all the local musicians who played all knew each other. And yeah. so that that community is suffering because it's so freaking hard to actually make. I mean, that's what I kind of wanted to have you riff on is just, you know, I look at John Lee, Mac Horn, Mark Levy. You know, these are my my spirit brothers, and you know they're road dogging it. And you know, to play original music in this time and road dog it and be essentially not very well known. Um, you don't make money at the gigs. You have to be out for at least a few weeks to make enough merchandise in order to come home with some bread. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wonder about the idea of, you know, so much of our society now, the greed factor is so high, the inequality is so high. The fact is that live performing musicians and cats haven't really gotten a raise since 1984, and music is looked at as a musician's gift to the world now. You can pay right. to play. You can play for the door. And I just want you to talk about the, the profession of music, how important it is for you to be, a, to be able to sing for your supper on the bandstand or in the studio as a musician, and what cats need to do, uh, how to get hip to the fact that a musician is a viable profession in this country. Because, I mean, I just interviewed a guy from Denmark you know, and he a badass jazz drummer, and he was just like my American colleagues that come over here are always shocked by the pay, how good the pay is for the gigs. You know, yeah. it's different. Clubs are subsidized. Parts of the yeah. world, Carol, understand the value and the power of music a lot more than the states. Yet here we are. So, what you say? Yeah, man. So, like, yeah, this was a, like when I was. You asked me earlier, like, you know, my, like, my West Coast nostalgia. And, like, my big thing that I realized when I was living in New York was, like, because I was, like, bartending parts, you know, I was bartending to pay my rent and stuff. And, like, I was, like, working with folks who were, like, 20 years my senior and were, like, I felt, like, kind of, like, I'm not knocking these guys. No. I felt different for everybody, you know. But, like, some people were, like, I was, like, man, like, I don't want to be a 40-year-old bartender in New York City, like, still trying to, like, make money making music. Like, my quality of life is really important to me. And aside from that, like, my West Coast nostalgia and all that, like, pine trees and mountains, all that stuff's, like, super spiritually important Absolutely, to me, you know? dog. And, and, like, and so actually, like, my thing was that, like, I was going to move to L.A. Like, I really wanted to move to L.A. Because everything I liked was in L.A. Like, I loved, like, 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 uh, I mean, historically speaking, man, like, you know, like, Grateful Dead, Fleetwood Mac, you know, um, uh, uh, New Riders of the Purple Sage, you know, Poco, like, that was all the shit that was, like, the stuff that I really felt, you know, like, 
the intersection of both, like kind of funk, country, and psychedelic. Right, you know? right. I did, um, I did. And so I, I really wanted to be out in LA, and then I actually like I got in this like really awful car accident like two weeks before I was supposed to go to LA, and I like broke my jaw and had a major head concussion. Blah oh. blah blah. And had to move home to Idaho to just live with my mom when I was like 28 years old and just do PT for like for like 10 months, you know. Um, and so then I was just here and I was like, well, you know, man, I'm like, God, this is like not where I expected things to go. <laughs> you know, like I was pretty <laughs> bummed out, you know, you know, I just sort of like, and that's when I moved back up to Boise and uh, I just started playing as much as I could. Cause at that time I was out of touch with the scene here. Like I'd come back when I was living in New York to like do tree fort and stuff like that. And like, I'd come out and do like a two week run or something, but I was kind of out of touch and I just started playing all the time. And like, I was like immediately blown away. Like, about like that I could make a living doing it because that wasn't a reality when I was living in New York, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and like the big thing here, like where I'm at and I think like, so my advice to people, and I don't know, I'm still figuring it out every day. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I'm certainly not not well off, but I can say this much. Like I, I kind of feel like you got to be dynamic, you know, like you got to have those things that, you know, you can make cash doing, and you got to have those things that, you know, like are art and they sometimes intersect, but sometimes they don't, right. you know, and the, the sweet spot is when they can be the same thing. And I've been finding that sweet spot lately. But I mean, like, I think like if you can play like out here, like kind of this, the jam band thing is big. The country thing is big. And the intersection of the two is a really cool place because you can kind of do the stuff that turns you on and is like innovative and expressive, but you can still do it in a way that like is appealing to the gigs that pay you, you know? So like really, man, like, We've like, you know, on average, I'm playing now like five or six nights a week out here wow. regionally, you know, wow. within three hours of this place, whether I'm going down to, you know, like Jackson Hole or, or Sun Valley or, you know, out in the eastern Oregon and stuff or like down to Reno and just everywhere in between. There's a lot of gigs, man. Like, I'm just like, I'm always like, I just played two festivals this weekend that I've never played before, even heard of, you know, and it was like mind blown at the turnout. You know what I mean? And right. The reception too. And like, we're playing, like, we're playing like, we're playing like kind of psychedelic jam band rock for country people. You know what I mean? And they were digging it. This is it's really important. Like, dude. I'm glad you're doing this. Yeah. Yo, do you, by chance, this is an old school family from Idaho, but I just found one of their records and they're definitely like hard scrabble Idaho. And I don't even know what that means. I haven't been spent any time, but the Braun brothers. Oh yeah, dude. I just opened, we just opened for, uh, Reckless Kelly three weeks ago. Who's that? So I, I, dude, I would do anything to interview those cats, dude. Yeah, so so the Rick, the Braun brothers are like a family. So dad is Muzzy Braun. Muzzy, They're dude. Muzzy, Chelsea. dude. Muzz, that's yeah. the cat right there, dude. Yeah, so Muzzy's, you know, there's Muzzy, and then there's there's uh, there's Willie and Cody and Gary and Mickey. And Gary and Mickey have Mickey in the motor cars, and Willie and Cody's band is Reckless Kelly. And, um... My dude, my friend who I was playing out with this weekend, Jeff Crosby, he played guitar for Reckless Kelly for a while. Whoa, whoa. And so there's like a whole lineage. And just like a month or two ago here, there was the famous Motel Cowboy reunion, which is this guy named Pinto Bennett, who was a dude here who just passed away a couple years ago. <laughs> what a great name, and, man. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, Muzzy and Pinto were like old pals. And so Muzzy, Muzzy did a set at that show, and so did Cody Braun. You know, they've got the Braun Brothers reunion out there in Chalice um, every summer, too, you know? Well, um, yeah, I mean, dude, I, I just, like, I found their record. I live in Tucson, and I found their records, and I'm like, dude, this family is deep, man. Yeah, they're definitely, like, they're definitely, like, you know, they, they have the lineage, you know? And they're all, re- man, they're such, they're such nice dudes, too, you know wow. what I mean? Like, wow. Um, 
and you know they all live they actually like they're from here muzzy still lives up in chalice but like they all live down in austin texas um but they, they play out here all the time <laughs> that is uh, so they're really yeah. they're well-established cats down you can't you, you gotta be established to live in austin totally yeah and i think actually like this year or these this year is reckless kelly's like 30th anniversary and they're not like totally retiring from touring but they're not going to be playing like 300 dates a year anymore they're like saying they're only going to play 20 dates a year you know after this now because they've been playing like 30 days 300 dates a year for like 30 years now you know like they've they've played they've put on a lot of miles i'm curious i've just been doing a ton of interviews over the last week and and i just talked to a couple a few cats in a great band up in phoenix called <clears throat> ultraviolet communication and and they all are definitely on their they're not on tiktok time those cats like most musicians are floating through time but they're they too part of what i felt and i asked them and none of need none of them and this you know you don't this is not essential but you seem to gravitate to the your elders a little bit to to learn wisdom from the older cats even if they're five years old or two years old or whatever like do you have musical elders? The point is, no, these guys had didn't have anybody, and you know, and I feel like that was so much part of the family trees of so many. You go back, you know, whether it was, you know, Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, and Jazz, Fats Domino, Ray Charles, or uh, you know, you know, Bill Monroe, uh, you know, Doc Watts, and these guys were like elders that the younger pickers could look up to get Reverend Gary Davis, you know, and that whole system is kind of broken down, but do you have musical elders that you can seek wisdom from? Absolutely, man. Like I'm like, I feel so like fortunate that, that like I have some of these people in my life, you know, like, um, I mean, locally for sure, but like on a grander scale, you know, like some people that have been, that are really important to me, you know, like someone, someone we, we haven't talked about yet talking about, you know, like, you know, my, my relationship with, with Brent Rademacher and, you know, like you were talking about circles around the sun, you know, with like Neil Casal, you know, and, um, mm. he, you know, he was in the Cardinals with John Grayboff, you know, and like as a pedal steel player, John Grayboff has been like a huge inspiration to me. And I, I don't like know John intensely well, but I've like taken some lessons from him over the years. And like, you know, I can email him and he'll write me back, you know, with like really cool answers. And like, there's kind of been this cool lineage there. And like, I, I, I had a guitar built for me, a steel guitar down in Nashville by this guy named Jeff Surratt who builds show pros. And, like, mm. He connected me with like Lloyd Green, the legendary. Oh my God. Know, Is that cat still Lloyd. around? Yeah, dude. He's like, he's I'm still around, guitar. dude. Yeah. Holy Lloyd, shit, like, man. You know, like my guitar is a replica. Of oh my God. You had a Lloyd yeah. Green pedal. Yeah, and Lloyd Green signed my guitar. You know, like, my guitar actually has Lloyd Green dude, DNA on it. Dude, so, DeYoung, like, man, you're living the dream like, right now, dude. It's, like, holy, you know? So, But, I mean, like, aside from, like, some of that stuff, man, like, there's there's dudes here, like, it, that I've just met in the last five years, like, who are just, like, legendary to me. Like, there's this there's this cowboy dude I play with, like, every Tuesday night. His name's Buddy DeBoer, and he's, like, he's got, like, that, like, Frank Sinatra, Ray Price voice. Like, he just, he's got, like, a beautiful voice, wow. you know? And, like, and he's, like, this, like, zen cowboy dude who lives out in the desert. Oh, yeah, dude. You Come know? on, dude. He's, you kidding he's me? Like, he's, like, my, like, oh. he's, like, he's, like, the guru. You know what I mean? Dude, like, I need to get hang with the guru right now, man. That dude yeah, is man, like, sick. That guy will just call me at like eight in the morning and just we'll just talk about music. You know but I have I mean? a feeling like, he also doesn't necessarily have to say a lot to, to say something profound, you know? No, not at all. That's the thing too, man. Not at all. You know, and hanging with that dude is like also like in the last couple of years, it's just like 
enlightened me so much to just like what what it means really to play music with people you know to like be a good musician with people you know like buddy always said like being you know being a good musician is a, is a gentleman's task you know you have to be considerate and thoughtful and you have to be a good listener and you have to not make it about you and make it about the people you're playing with and make sure that they're feeling good you know like that's the whole point that's when things feel that's when the vibe is right on you know um so yeah man like i'm always like you know i'm, I'm always like looking I, I love meeting the older cats man because like i just met this guy uh, a month ago, I got this new steel guitar, this Rittenberry double neck, and I needed to like change some of the mechanics around on it. I wasn't familiar with the design. And one of my other old friends introduced me to this guy, 86 years old. This guy named this guy named Jerry. Uh, he used to build rockets for the Air Force, and he was in Germany, and he oh. built his own steel guitars in the Air Force shop. You know what I mean? Like he machined his own parts, and this dude is still building his own steel guitars, 86 years old, oh still machining the parts. You know, and so I've been going over there and hanging out with him. You know, like he helped me wire my new pickups in and change around some of the mechanics in the cabinet. And it's just like watching that dude play, man. Like he plays, like he is that dude. For he started playing steel guitar when he was like 12 years old in Kentucky. You know, like and he's, this he's is like, you're making my day right now, dude. And it's just like going and like going over to his house and like hearing him play his old showbud man is like that's it, dude. Like, like, like that's the time capsule. Like that's what the sound is. You know what I mean? Like, like, and I'm just like trying to like close my eyes and like open my pores and soak it in like the osmosis. You know what I mean? Oh my god, this is unreal, man. Yo, before we wrap set one, um, when did you first? Did you know Neil Casal? I never met Neil, man. I saw him once on a street corner outside the Brooklyn Bowl in Brooklyn. I think probably playing with uh, Chris Robinson Brotherhood. Sure. Um, you know, and I what about what about Rademacher? I mean, more importantly, curation to me is like, you know, I mean, I don't. I'm not out there waving the flag, but every chance I can, come across one of the people in his stable. You know, I mean, inevitably they're just incredible musicians and oftentimes even better human beings. How did you meet, uh, Brent? So I, I discovered Brent through my obsession with Neil. Cause like, I love Neil since I was a teenager, like on the, on yeah, the a lot of people were stuff, obsessed with you Neil. Know? You're not the only one that was obsessed with Neil. Kassar. Yeah. And yeah. so like, you know, then you go through the catalog and you start wanting to know everything they ever played on it. That's how I discovered gospel beach. Ah. And that's how I discovered Brent and then Beachwood sparks. And then I, that's how I discovered curation records you know through through that whole lineage right and so like as i was as i was like my goal with this record was i wanted to make an lp i wanted to put it out on vinyl and i wanted to try and get it out on curation records that was my goal i wanted to try and get out on a record label which then my goal became curated because i just felt like oh man like this is all the stuff i really dig like that whole scene like that's what i feel like that's where I feel like this music should exist. Right. I, I almost felt like this is the only place, that's the only place this music can exist. And so like, maybe like a year ago, I just like reached out to Brent through social media and like sent him some singles or whatever. And we chatted a little bit, but it didn't really go anywhere. And then like when I made this record, my childhood friend who lives up in Oakland, who's like makes really great ambient uh, electronic music with like modular synths. He's also a graphic designer. He did all the album artwork, artwork for me. And he has this best friend, this guy named Eric Silverman, who just put a great record out. Dude, I just interviewed Silverman. Yeah, and Eric's my fucking, he's the best, dude. He's dude, I, it's so classic. I, I knew, I knew <laughs> that, I knew that, but now, now it's all the, it's all coming together now. Yeah, and so like, I like, 
like my friend Kirk was like, hey man, do you care if I share your album with my friend Eric? Like, I think he'd really dig it. You guys have a really similar vibe, you know? And he shared it with Eric and Eric like got my number from Kirk and called me and we started talking on the phone. And I hadn't put the record out yet. Like it was just done, mastered, right? And like I hadn't even sequenced the tracks yet, and Eric was like, "How are you going to sequence it?" And I was like, "I don't, I, I don't know, man. I've kind of been messing with it." And Eric was like, "Well, do you think like how would you feel if I like maybe like tried out a sequence for you?" And I was like, "Yeah, please do." And so Eric sequenced my record, and it was like perfect, you know. And then mm. and then from there, Eric was kind of like, "What are you going to do with it?" And I'm like, "Well, man, like, you know, like I want to, I, I, I'm trying to get it out on a label. And there's like three that I'm really attracted to, and the number one is Curation in LA, Brent, Brent Bademaker's label." And Eric was like, "Man, well, like my records." coming out on curation and like this stuff is really cool no like, way you didn't know that in advance you didn't know that i mean i i, I had just met eric and like i think kirk had told me my friend's records coming out on curation. right you did you know, yeah like, I, I dig i dig i dig yeah and so like and then eric was like I'll, i'd like to send it to him or i'll send it to him if you're cool with that and i'm like yeah please man so he had like sent you know my soundcloud or whatever with the sequence to brent and uh and then i at that point i'd already ordered my vinyls right and um i was gonna put them out one way or another and then I, you know, I hit up Brent and I said, "Hey, man, like, because I'm a huge Gospel Beach fan. You know, I'm a huge Beachwood Sparks fan, and um, hmm. and like, I don't, I didn't know that dude, but just like, you know, like with the Mapache stuff and everything, like all his friends, I just was like, man, I just feel like, I like like that dude's vibe. So I just hit him up and I said, hey, man, like you've been a huge inspiration to me. I I just love to send you one of my records, and if you just, you know, I just hope you listen. <laughs> to it. That's basically all I said. You know? I did. And he listened, he listened to it, you know, and Brent liked it, you know, and he. He said, well, let's talk on the phone Monday morning, you know, and he kind of asked me the same stuff, you know, like, what are you doing with this record? You know, and he kind of said, well, you know, like we could put it out for you, you know, like, and I'll just, you know, we'll just put a sticker on it and like, you know, I'll help you get it out there in the world. I think it's really beautiful music. And, and he told me like, you know, he had told me when we first talked on the phone that like he, he had just pulled Neil's white Falcon out from, you know, out from under the bed or something like that. And had been playing it, you know, and then he'd been feeling kind of somber and, and more or less, he said, your record came into my life. at like this really perfect moment. Like I needed to hear it, you know? And that was like a really profound thing for me to hear. Cause these dudes are like legends to me. You know what I mean? And, um, and, uh, yeah. And then we just started talking more and more. And so then I, I had these 200 records and I had to bring them. I drove down to LA to bring them to Brent. And right before that, you know, Brent was like, well, you know, like, hey, we're making a new gospel beach record, and like, if you're driving to LA, do you just like want to bring your guitar and your steel and maybe play on a few songs? Oh, absolutely, I want to do that. You know, with him and uh, with him and Johnny at Johnny's Studio, and um, so when I went down to LA, you know, to bring my records to Brent and meet him and hang out, you know, like we um, we the first thing we did was we just met at Johnny's Studio, and I set up my Lloyd Green steel, and you know, I brought my Strat and my Tele. And we, we tracked, like, I think we, that first night we tracked maybe, like, three songs, and then the next day we tracked four more songs, um, playing, you know, and we just vibed, and it was cool, man. And, um, yeah, and that's kind of how all that happened. It was this really cool, organic thing, you know, and, like, that guy has just become so important to me because, like, Brent loves music, and he'll, like, do anything he can to help artists get good music out, you know, and, like, he is, like, dude, Brent is, like, one of the best songwriters, like, and his voice is just incredible. Everything he, his whole vision, I mean, his production, like, being around him is also just like, you're just like receiving the light from the sun, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's truly like being around a great. And so, you know, that, that's kind of how that, that whole thing unfolded there, you know? So, that, that yeah. I'm, we're not going any farther, man. That was one of the most, spe- and I've done 2,000 interviews, five books, been on this journey 12 years. Obviously, Neely Casal. 
<clears throat> was a big part of it. Uh, dedicated my first book to him and, and my two interviews with him. But, um, you know, that story reinforces the spiritual nature of life and music. And, yeah, man, I that is a powerful story. And I'm so glad that you chose to share it, man, because that was one of the best stories, you know. And I love, I mean, Rademacher, I'm not a musician, but, you know, he immediately understood what I brought to the table, has always been one of my biggest supporters and sort of, uh, I mean, I just feel so humbled that in Tucson, even though I love the cats here and I have some dear musical friends, it does, you know, I mean, to have tapped into the Ben Knight, the Farmers, uh, the Dan Horns, the Mapaches, uh, the list, the Jason Sodas, uh, every, the list goes on and on and on. The Darren Rademacher's a dear friend, Brent, I consider them family, so... You know, man, like to hear you wax poetic on that was was heavy, man. Yeah, man. I mean, thanks for letting me talk about it. I just I'm really excited about all of it. And, you know, like I just I always want to pay it forward to the to the people who helped me because, you know, like I'm just a person with some ideas and it's all these other people that believe in it and want to be a part of the music that really make it exist, you know? Hmm. Well, you're one of the cats, man, and I cannot wait to come up to Boise and rock out with you, man. Yeah, I'm stoked to be. Dude, I'm so st- psyched, man. Time. I mean, it's going to be sick. Definitely coming back in in the winter for Christmas with the fam. But um, cool. Hopefully, if not before then, man, stay in touch and uh, and uh, yeah, man, definitely uh, you got to hook me up with some of the cats and up in that Boise area, man. I got to keep. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna look for this Garrett dude for sure. Yeah, I'm gonna. Oh, I'll send Garrett you. No, I'll send you a couple. I'll send you a couple links, but. I'd love to connect with the Zen Cowboy you're playing with and uh, and Muzzy, dude. Cool, yeah, man. I yeah. can get with those guys. All right. And we're John all, Lee Shannon, all... I just want to tell you that when this interview goes up, John Lee Shannon is going to be smiling ear to ear, dude. You make you're making people happy, bro. Oh yeah, he's he's. I mean, I, he's just was such an is not continues, what, man. The guy is just player, pure love. It's the reflection of. Pure Light, like Rademacher, and I think like uh, Freeman DeYoung, man. So much love to you, baby. Yeah, hey, thanks so much, Jake. I'll get this up later tonight. Right on, man. I'll talk to you later. Much love, man.